You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now here's your host, Brian Matiash, and me, Sharky James. So, Brian, here we are, episode 24. We have Quattro Vision toppled our episode output. Bum, bum, bum. That's like four visions that we toppled. I know. All sorts of tuples. I like it. Tuples for days. And days. Why don't you tell people what's in this episode? Sure. So we're going to start off with a topic. Uh, this, this stems from a topic from a few weeks ago uh, where uh, CVS, CVS is a, I don't know if they're international, they're definitely a United States-based goods and pharmacy, you know, kind of like Walgreens. They announced that they will no longer, they are banning any of their photos that have to do with beauty products. They're banning Photoshop work done to them. And that kind of leads into a variety of other little branches that we can talk about. And then uh, we're going to go to the second topic, which is more uh, generally about photography workshops and what you should, if you're interested in taking one, what you should look for, things that should set off red flags and, you know, all sorts of kind of stories that have happened. So uh, with that, and then we, of course, have Sharky, our what's on your gear shelf. It's going to be a great show. Absolutely. Because it always is because it's us. That's right. I mean, and I think people (laughs) like us. And with that, uh, if you want to hear more, if you want to subscribe, if you want to get to the show notes, you can do so by going to nonamephotoshow.com. Before we get into the show, I want to remind people that I'm giving away a camera with my own money. It's a little scary. Going to be buying somebody a camera. So we've got a uh, giveaway going on for the Petapixel Photography Podcast. So you're not going to be able to find it over on Petapixel because it's already pages down now. So go to lensshark.com slash giveaway. We're giving away a ton of prizes. I think there's like 17 different prizes. So there's four ways to enter, two of which will give you two entries each. So head on over there, check that out. You have until 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Monday, February 12th, 2018. All right, let's get in the show. Sounds good. And it is a very cool contest because you get to choose which camera you want. So Sharky, this, again, I mentioned this kind of, when I saw this story in mid-January on Petapixel, I thought immediately, like, this is going to be a good topic. And since then, fortunately, well, I don't know, fortunately, not fortunately, but more situations have developed in this vein where I think it will fill out the story. So the original story, like I said, CVS had announced that they are banning Photoshop, any sort of photo manipulation to its beauty product photos. And I personally, you know, this, this is, um, this is, I love it. I think it's, it's great news, especially in a time where, you know, if we could want to call it the, the Instagram life where everyone's posting their most manicured stuff, when you're talking about beauty products, you know, you want to get a, an accurate representation. Like if I see a, the same thing with car commercials, when I see a car commercial and I see this, you know, someone like uh, during the Super Bowl, there was a, a Kia car commercial and Steven Tyler, the, the lead singer for Aerosmith, gets into this Kia and he starts, uh, he's on a racetrack and he starts driving in reverse, you know, super fast. And then he gets out and like the computer manipulated his face to be like much, much younger. You know, that's not the kind of sentiment I'm necessarily looking for per se. I want more of an authentic, you know, representation of a product. So, so Sharky, <laughs> I know you've covered this before on the Petapixel Photography Podcast, but I want to get your take on this in terms of, you know, what do you think 
the implications are for photographers, specifically commercial photographers who want to work with these kinds of companies. Do you see this becoming more of a trend or do you think this is kind of like an outlier situation? This is definitely going to be something that's going to change the beauty industry because CVS has a lot of buying power. So they're forcing the hands of others. And so you're going to see others do this as well. What I said on my show, that Patapixel Photography Podcast, which we've said three times now. So we're probably done with that. This will force others to do it. And also for models who have perfect skin, they're probably going to get the jobs now or pretty close to perfect skin. People still want to see, even though they don't want to admit it, they want to see beautiful people on the cover of magazines and ads, etc. They don't want to see someone with horrible skin. They want to see someone who looks nice. So these companies will hire people who look pretty close to perfect, I think. And we've gotten to the point, I think, in society where nothing fools us anymore. When we see a box cover, we know it's been airbrushed from here to, you know, whatever. And I think that where it affects photographers, not just photographers who want to work with these companies, because that's such a small amount of people, is in your own work. If you're shooting, uh, let's say, engagement sessions or senior photos, etc., how much retouching do you do? And, you know, because I've made this mistake in the past, I told you a long time ago, I've, I've since wised up to this. You know, we're maybe talking like 10 years or so ago. I'd remove people's flaws. I would improve them. I would make, you know, if they had like a mole or something on their face, that's just easy to remove right there. It's like, I can do that. Click done. But then they'd get the photos and they're like, well, where's my mole at? It doesn't look like me. So you don't want to offend your clients, first of all. And it might not even be your clients. You might just be shooting for free. You might be volunteering. Yeah, shooting a friend or family or something. Exactly. So if someone has a zit or whatever that's temporary, the general rule is remove it because they don't want to see that forever. But if they have a port wine stain or they have a, uh, a mole on their face or a droopy eye or whatever, don't fix it because then they're not going to put that on their wall because people are going to be like, that doesn't look like you. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, taking it back to I like what you were saying in terms of uh, bringing it to uh, the, you know, practically what, you know, the kind of work that, uh, say, an individual a wedding photographer or a um, senior uh, photographer uh, would have to consider. But before we do, you know, I do want to highlight this is um, quoting CVS uh, pharmacy president Helena Folks, and she says, Quote, as a woman, mother, and president of of a retail business whose customers predominantly are women, I realize we have a responsibility to think about messages we send to the customers we reach each day. The connection between the propagation of unrealistic body images and negative health effects, especially in girls and young women, has been established. So there has, you know, since the past few years, there has certainly been a defined movement uh, with uh, body positive image. You know, you have role models who, for... uh, all sorts of clothing lines who are hiring more, you know, you would call them full figured models. And, you know, I certainly see it more, uh, the movement more on with females than with males. Like, I haven't really seen any sort of movement for finding a model, you know, a dude with a beer gut. No one's using you or I. Exactly. In, a, in an ad in yeah. GQ anytime soon. I mean, I'm waiting for Calvin Klein to call, but I'll hold my breath. Maybe a Taco Bell ad or something. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, to get my chalupa so I can enjoy that. But uh, no, I think this is really smart. But where this ties into, there, there, are two, there are two ways that you could look into it. The first is this kind of like little flash in the pan story that went recently with um, a few weeks ago uh, where you had 
Reese Witherspoon and Oprah Winfrey, they were on the cover of uh, Vanity Fair. And there was a, you know, it was Annie Leibovitz, who's just, you know, just a, a legendary uh, portrait and fashion photographer and celebrity photographer. You know, this photo was photoshopped where Oprah had an extra hand and it wasn't, you know, everyone thought Reese Witherspoon had a third leg. It turned out it was actually material from her dress. But point is like, that's one kind of, once you start doing this, these photo manipulations, that's where you can get in trouble. But more kind of hitting home was this story. This is, this is really outrageous. And this is goes sharky to your point in terms of you know, let's say you're a wedding photographer, you're doing an engagement shoot. So the story came from F-Stoppers and the title is Wedding Photographer Accused of Fat Shaming After Over-Editing Engagement Photos. Hold so, on a second. Didn't a couple episodes ago you said you're no longer going to reference F-Stoppers? No, that's not the case at all. Basically, I was upset because the uh, editor or the author of this one post that was with Elia Licardi, he edited the, the post. I mean, clearly removed a significant section of it where he was quoting Elia. He removed it and there was no sort of edit note, no update that indicates as such. And to me, that really bothered me. But I still subscribe to F-Stoppers. I mean, they come into my, my RSS feed uh, just like um, Petapixel does. And Petapixels, I have my issues with them as well. So, so here, Sharky, the story is that, uh, to, to really summarize it, this wedding photographer took, uh, she was hired, uh, photographed this couple who, you know, would be, you know, are, are on the heavy side. When she delivered the photos, she clearly uh, went, was a bit liberal with the Liquify tool in Photoshop. And for those that don't know, in Photoshop, there is a vastly powerful and supremely effective tool called a Liquify tool. And that literally allows you to move uh, contours, uh, you know, into into different places so you can uh, slim things, you can expand things. It's, it's really powerful. But Sharky, this kind of goes to what you said about the mistake you made, like, First, she didn't. She just made the assumption, and is that what you did? Like you made an assumption that you wanted that to to kind of fix the skin of your of the person you took a photo of. I was going a little bit cray cray with the spot removal tool, and uh, it was probably late at night. And I thought, well, why not? But you know what? Like I always say on my show, which I'm not going to mention. Okay, I'm going to the Petapixel Photography Podcast. I just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. And so I learned that lesson because I had a little talking to from, well, I was shooting them for, for free. This was doing just a, like a lighting test, you know, a strobus kind of thing. And they're like, why did you remove the mole on my head? Sure. Like, that's part of me. Like, I've accepted it. Like, it's, you know, it wasn't like shaming me or anything. It wasn't like, hey, this is an integral part of me. I've named it long ago. But, you know, I think to this case, to the point here with this photographer, she took some liberties. And what's worse is that in the wake of, the couple receiving these photos, they kind of gave her some feedback and they were upset. And and they also, I guess, looked for a refund. The photographer went to Facebook in just what is always the stupidest thing you can do and uh, kind of ranted about the experience. And what if you read it and we'll link to it again uh, in the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com. But if you read her post, which is screenshotted on uh, in F-Stoppers, it was not a it was not a well written. It was kind of a, a, a trashy post and you know she denied them their refund and of course in the wake of that she got completely slammed took down her post and did a mea culpa and refunded them but the point here is i think with you have this two very opposite sides of the scale in terms of photo manipulation of a portrait you've got the whole um with the with cvs and other kind of uh, fashion and beauty things where you want it to be accurate like some sort of representative you want to show that if i could use a word maybe like attainable like you said if you see the cover of something like a, a beauty product and the person is perfect the, you know porcelain skin and just like just 
impossibly beautiful. That you know that sets a a, a really tough um, expectation or a bar, especially with girls and young women. Uh, you know, and, uh, definitely guys don't feel it doesn't have that that nearly as bad. I mean, the, fractionally. But um, on the other side, you've got you know people like this this um, Newlywood couple who pro- clearly know. I'm sure that they know their situation in terms of their weight and their health. But to have it kind of almost like being robbed of, I guess, dignity by like, oh, here I took the liberty as photographer of making you thinner because you're fat. Um, you know, to, I want to make you look prettier. That's an awful, awful kind of leap to make as a photographer. And if you're, if you're in that business, like, I hope, you know, you kind of like taking point out of Sharky's book is like, don't, not, don't ever do that. Ask your, ask your, your model or, you know, your, the client or whoever it is, your friend or your family, like, do you want me to thin you up? <laughs> you want a little chin tuck? You want me to remove whatever blemishes off your face, or, you know, or do you want an au natural? So Sharky, what do you have for that? That's something you want to ask your client when you sit down for that initial consult. Maybe even, you know, just go through a checklist. Like, what do you want me to change? And then also that those are things to look forward to when you're photographing them. You could light somebody differently if they want to accent something or, you know, downplay something as well. And also we didn't mention it with the CVS thing is they have a whole set of guidelines of what is considered acceptable to change. And they're going to be putting a beauty mark, I think they call it, or something like that, care mark, I don't know, something on the images that are change that don't comply with this? Or or is it the ones that are not going to have it will have it? One of those two, it doesn't really matter. But of all the things that they say is unacceptable to change, one of them is eye color. And I disagree with that because what's the really the big deal about the eye color? My wife and my daughters change their eye color like crazy with colored contacts. What's the big deal? You know, just like wearing a wig or just dyeing your hair. But changing body type and, you know, those sort of things that I think is completely different than changing your eye color. Like, who cares if the model has are you going to be like, oh, I'm being lied to. She really has brown eyes and she has, you know, these silvery gray eyes here. Who cares? You know, on that front, I'm pretty sure I'm, I, I agree with you because, yeah, unless the product has something specifically to, to do with eye color where you're misrepresenting it, you know, I don't I don't. I don't know, unless you're trying to speak or convey a message that, uh, you know, all beautiful people or beautiful women need to have blue eyes, for example, uh, that that could be, you know, so uh, to me, it's just kind of like, listen, and if you look, go to the post again, nodamephotoshow.com, go to the Petapixel post where they have uh, the the kind of what is going to be accepted by CVS and what used to be accepted. You know, the the differences are great. I really like the natural all natural versions i think that it, it just it's refreshing and you know we are we have been completely i would say desensitized you, you know like you said you look at a at a cover for some product you just kind of build in this the fact that this thing has been doctored and it's so much so that when this point it has to be made so clearly it's like whoa you know like you know it's just kind of hits you over the head Listen, we've gotten to the point in society where we have a whole new generation now who doesn't buy this stuff. They know when they're being lied to and we've taught them, you know, be proud of your body, etc. There's, you know, bigger plus size models like us. Watch for that Taco Bell ad and the free chalupas. Yeah. Buy one, get one free. That's Brian's Wouldn't ad. that be great? <laughs> that would be awesome. And so it's getting to the point where I think this will be less and less of an issue. And I think we put a fine point on this. What do you think? 
Yeah, I agree. I think this is good. And I hope uh, I hope this is food for thought for our listeners. So um, let's move on to the next topic, Sharky. And this has to do with workshops. So before I do anything about it, let me just ask you, have you ever either led or been a part of a photo workshop? Never. Never. I will in the future, I'm sure. Never. I'm trying to think. Like, you know, I've been, you know, I've gone to photo club kind of things and sure. that, but I've never been a part. I'm trying to think because I have a bad memory these days. I don't think I've ever definitely not one I've ever paid for. Gotcha. So I would say let's go with no. Okay. So I've led workshops and I've also paid to, to go on some workshops. Uh, like I went on one in November two years ago uh, to Venice, Italy with David Dushman. It was a very small kind of you know, a more kind of refined, not your typical workshop. But the point is, I know that there uh, is a big demand for photography workshops, uh, one, leading them, but two, for photographers who are interested in joining. And so I thought it'd be fun to talk about kind of things to look out for or, you know, what, in my opinion, makes a good workshop, you know, a fun experience. So Sharky, let me ask you something. You've never been on one. What would you expect or what would you hope to get out of a workshop that you're paying, you know, anywhere from God, uh, you know, fifteen hundred to to five thousand dollars? And that's just the cost of the workshop. That's not even the cost of traveling to get to the workshop. What I'd be wanting to get out of it is learning things that I don't know now. Like you can go, we talked about this before. You can go on YouTube, you can go to your store, Nicole's store, but having your questions answered right there on the spot when you're encountering a problem is priceless that you know cut the t- it's just like when when you look through the EVF of a mirrorless camera and you can see your exposure that's instant feedback that makes people a better photographer cuz you're instantly learning it cuts the learning curve so being able to take a workshop with somebody who you like who's somebody who's photography you really enjoy and they're all dialed in that's valuable right there you're not going to shoot like them you're not going to be as good as them they have the x factor that you don't have yet and taking a workshop and honing your craft could get you there and so i'd be looking for somebody who could teach me things i don't know and also you know there's a camaraderie right i mean you might want to hang out with david hobby or joe mcnally or whoever and it's just it's a fun thing if you're going to go on vacation you don't have a family, why not take a workshop and learn something instead of buying that, you know, new lens or whatever, something that's actually going to help you become a better photographer in whichever area you want to do. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I'm glad you that was kind of the way you brought it up because there is a, when I, I, I'm very sensitive to this topic, partly because when I ask people, like I, I charge my, my workshops, the prices vary, but usually it hovers between, I would say the rough range is between 3000 and $4,500 based on the location, also based on how many students. If it's a smaller workshop, you get more attention, so the price goes up. However, where I get sensitive about this is the first thing is the the person that you take the workshop with, it should go without saying that they are a skilled, experienced, you know, strong photographer. So that shouldn't necessarily be the criteria. Uh, what you said is where I think is really important. Do you like the photographer? Is that someone you would want to spend time with? But also flipping it around, it's great that you're a, you can be a good photographer. But are you a good teacher? Can you do you have the patience? Are you able to communicate with not not talk to but speak with? your students, uh, where they feel comfortable, where they don't feel intimidated. And I, that, that is a, speaking of X factor, I believe that that is a trait that a lot of workshop leaders don't have. They're great photographers and they take you out there and everything. But in order to, for me, for a workshop to be successful, I want my students to be able to, to leave 
feeling like um, not they didn't just get photos out of it. It's not just access, you know, or me serving as a guide, although definitely I always do polls and surveys with my with my audience and some people all they want they want they want to hang out they want that group like you said camaraderie they but they just want a guide to get them to these places and they'll take care of themselves but the others they want to i want them to walk away feeling like they actually grew as a photographer not just got more photos and plus with your workshops they also get the buy one get one free chalupa coupons which are invaluable i mean thank you taco bell <laughs> so Taco Bell should sponsor us. But so how does somebody know if the person that they want to take a workshop with is a good teacher or not versus just a good photographer? How do they know that? So that's actually a, re- a really good question. And that I would say falls the entire burden falls on the photographer, the workshop leader in terms of their marketing ability. For me, it's super important to get testimonials uh, more and more. Now you see photographers who are taking like short videos um, like James Brandon has a really nice one where he did a video kind of like a trailer type of thing for his workshop. What's it like being on a James Brandon photography workshop? So, you know, it's how you market it. The To me, the biggest thing is word of mouth and loyalty. Like, you know, there are, are my there are people in my audience um, who would go on a workshop simply just to because they know me. They, they followed me for all these years. They understand my teaching style. Um, you know, I've got that's partly why I put videos nonstop on YouTube is so people can get an idea of who I am. So, you know, if you're thinking about doing a workshop, while it's the photographer's response or the, the workshop photographer, the leader's responsibility to market it, it's the attendee's responsibility to do the research to see, to your point, like, how do you know if they're good? Well, you have to figure that out. Can they go on Yelp or something and find out, you know, like reviews? And then how do you how do you control that? I mean, it might not be somebody that took it. They just hate Brian Matias and they're like one star. I hated his uh, his workshop to a place I'm not going to mention right now. Sure. Um, I don't know of that. And, you know, I don't know of a, a Glassdoor or a Yelp or, you know, a, a TripAdvisor type of thing specifically for photo workshops. I do believe that, you know, I've on my workshops, I've certainly had students who have kind of railed or kind of complained to me about other workshops that they had been on. And that's the thing. A lot of my workshop attendees, a lot of them, this is not their first workshop either with me or with anyone. They've ta- they're like seasoned workshop people. Um, and so they develop their own kind of, you know, Rolodex and repertoire of leaders that they enjoy. So with that, you don't want to be known, obviously, as a bad photographer. And fortunately, I've come close. Not I've, I've come close once to actually removing someone from a workshop because, hey, dude, naturally, it's required for me to have a good demeanor to be, you know, positive and upbeat and energetic. But at the same time, you still have as an attendee responsibilities not to be a jerk. And so, you know, there's that too. You have to kind of look at yourself and say, like, am I a jerk? How do you send somebody home in the middle of a workshop? Like, how's that? That would be uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, that that all boils down to, you, you know, before anyone, I accept payments for any workshop, they first have to sign a kind of like a contract. You know, things like stipulating that you are absolutely 100% required to have travel insurance and I need proof. Meaning if we go on a trip and you fall off a wall like David Dushman did, you have insurance that will cover a helicopter lifting you out. You know, you're if you break a bone or you, you know, I have friends who've led workshops where someone slipped on a rock and hurt themselves and they had to rush them to the hospital. Well, guess what? You, you know, you need to have insurance coverage. But again, the, the part of it also is if it is deemed that you are disrupting the the kind of overall group dynamic, then, you know, 
something has to be done because the need of the many will always outweigh the need of the few in a group. Everyone is a paying, equally paying member. So, yeah. I wonder how many people have actually died on a workshop. That's a horrible thought. I, I haven't heard of any. I can't remember any. But there was this guy recently in Hawaii that, and we talked about this on my show, that he was the leader. He was like an expert at leading people to lava fields there in Hawaii. It rained. It created a noxious cloud and he didn't get out of there alive. They couldn't see. They couldn't breathe. And so what I would say is, you don't want to blame him, but shouldn't there have been like maybe some kind of mask or something that they had just in case the worst case scenario happened? So to that end, you know, he took three people on this this workshop. Do your research and find out what's the worst case scenario for where you're going and try to plan for it because you can't assume that the workshop leader has it all covered because in this case, this guy didn't. Yeah, I mean, it's that was tragic. That was uh, Sean King in Hawaii, you know, over on the big island. And like you said, for, so let's uh, let me put myself in the shoes of one of the three attendees. When I go in a workshop and I'm a paying member of a workshop because I've gone on a, a few where I was kind of, you know, I was friends with the leader and they kind of let me join. But when I pay, you know, I have a certain expectation that the, the workshop leader has it dialed in. And this is kind of why I'm glad you brought this up. Part, partly why I want to have this this conversation here. You know, people who are looking at workshops is you know you put your trust in your workshop leader, not just their expertise in photography and teaching, but also in understanding the terrain, the environment. If this is a you know on location course or or, or event, it's tragic. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, it is tragic. I am with you. I, I'm. If, if even if there is a one percent chance of you know toxic fumes coming up, I would require everyone to have, um, like you said, gas masks. Uh, I don't know what the likelihood. Like you said, this guy is he is a seasoned veteran of that location. He was kind of like a staple of that area. Um, but uh, for me, a good example, Sharky. So I paid to go on the very first Cuba workshop with the Giving Lens. The Giving Lens is a uh, kind of humanitarian workshop company that uh, our friend Colby Brown, who's a former guest, he started that company. And uh, when they go to a new location, it's always kind of like a um, a scouting trip. So I went to that, their first one to Cuba. And there were a few situations where it got hairy in terms of like, we don't have any rooms. Like we might not have rooms to sleep or put our stuff on. We might have to sleep on the ground. In those situations, I want to give a huge shout out to the the instructors there, Kate and Colby. They handled it. I mean, they were on top of it. It was something, it was, it was a curveball, came at us at, at left field, but they got it. So every single person, including them, everyone had a bed that night. And so th- that to me is part of what uh, a hallmark of what a good workshop leader will do is like, they just, you know, oh man, we're supposed to go to this waterfall, but the path trail got you know, mudslide it out. Guess what? We're going to, they, they just know what to do. Otherwise they always have plan B and C and D. That's the hallmark of a good photographer leader. But like I was saying, don't assume that the workshop leader knows how to do this stuff. Also plan. Ultimately, you have to take care of yourself and your safety. So don't assume, don't put your safety in someone else's hands entirely is what I would say. Sure. And um, kind of earlier, what, what I was saying is do your research on the leader, not just if they're a good um, educator, but you know, do they do they know their thing? Do, do your research in terms of ask for references. There's nothing, nothing that's stopping a workshop attendee, a potential attendee from asking the leader if they can provide some references. No one's ever asked me that. And as I said, I'm like, man, that's a good idea to offer that up. Like, hey, here are some, here are some people who took my workshops. 
go at it. Um, maybe, you know, incentivize them. So, so Sharky, I mean, if, let me ask you, we'll close this out. If you could take a workshop, two questions, one, who would the workshop leader uh, be? And two, either where or, you know, what subject matter would you want? You've asked me this before, actually. And the answer is now and will always be Joe McNally. He's the master. He's great. Or maybe like Gregory Heisler, somebody who's like a really uh, just an amazing lighting master would just be great because you can pick their they, their base of knowledge is so deep that you won't even touch like a billionth of what they actually know. So think about all you can learn from them in like a three day workshop. That would be just amazing. How about you? Who would you take one with? You know, I would probably and I would go with this person partly because he's a he's a good friend. And I love his wife. But also, he is just so well-traveled and such a good personality. I'd probably go with, like, Elia Licardi to, you know, explore uh, various parts of Asia uh, and uh, and Europe. I mean, I, I just... He has he has got such a great uh, and deep photography portfolio, and it's not necessarily that I would want to learn photography from him. I would want to learn the mindset of his particular kind of travel, you know, the way he experiences it. That, to me, would be just priceless that would definitely be invaluable it's hard to get into somebody's head like it's hard to be you it's hard to be me no one else is going to make the exact same choices that you do but kind of getting what they're about might get you to think kind of like them and anything you can do like we learn right it's the kind of the definition of learning is being able to stretch being able to do things that you don't already know you know to make those connections in your brain right and to learn something new you have to literally learn something new. You have to stretch. So great, great choices. Yeah, I, I, I like your choice. Awesome. Thank you. I was actually, it's, it's funny. Um, one last thing. Years ago, uh, my first Photoshop world that I attended as an attendee in Boston, you know, they have these pre-cons that you pay extra for even on top of the, the show fee. But you can choose usually one of like anywhere from eight to 10 or 11 different tracks. Uh, and I immediately chose the Joe McNally one. We went to uh, somewhere in along the Boston pier somewhere. I can't. Oh, I think it was near the, the USS Constitution, old Ironside. And we had some models. The only problem was it was like, you know, in typical fashion with Photoshop world, they overbook it. So there were probably 50 or 60 different students there. So it was more you were watching Joe shoot. But you, I still got tons out of it. It was awesome. Uh, and also to meet him in person was was something cool. So I'm with you there. Joe's a, a great choice. Just imagine what you can learn from him. Be crazy. All right, Sharky. I have one very fateful question to ask you. What is that? What's on your gear shelf? What's on my gear shelf is, okay, this one, you can get any brand, but this is from Patchworks. Tempered glass screen protectors. Oh, sure. For the back of your LCD. I, now, I think Nikon has stopped doing this, but they used to ship with those awful hard plastic, as opposed to soft plastic, hard plastic uh, snap-on protectors for the back of your LCD that were horrible. And you still see people, even well-known photographers, with those on the back of theirs. And they're horrible. They you know, Those easily get scratched up. And they're just, they just, you don't want to look at your screen through that. It's so funny because as a, as a longtime Canon shooter for a decade, I was always so jealous of that. I'm so glad you picked this. I'm neurotic about protecting my screens. And I was like, man, not only does Nikon give, they, they built into their camera a, a groove to snap it on. It has a groove or two grooves. And it, the thing is just what the first thing I did is I got when I got my D700 is I broke it 
on purpose, just like done. No, no temptation to use that. And so what I used back in the day was there was this product from a company called Zag, Z-A-G-G. Oh, sure. They're based in Salt Lake City, Utah. And they used to make protection for the leading edge of Apache longbow helicopters and other ones. And it was like this uh, film, this kind of like uh, rubbery kind of film. Right. And you would put that on your LCD screen. And it wasn't optically perfect, but it was pretty close. And it was like self-healing. I don't think it really does heal itself so much. But uh, that's what I use to protect the back of my screens and also the top LCD too, if you have one of those. Now, so what I use is most people use, just like you do on your smartphone, is this tempered glass. And this one's uh, 9H, so nine hardness. You want to protect your glass. You're going to put it on there. It'll be there. You won't even know it's there. You're good to go. That glass will break instead of the screen itself. But here's, I don't think this is a massive problem because you don't see people breaking their LCDs that much. But why not? You know, just fifth. this is $15. Even if it was 25, 30 bucks, whatever, that's going to be saving you a whole lot of money right there if you do break that LCD. So go ahead and buy that. Patchworks or whoever else, that's the company I go with. I use them for my smartphones and for just about everything I can protect. So yeah, there you go. So I am religious. I mean, I'm fanatic about this kind of stuff. Every single camera I have, same thing. I have a glass screen protector. The, my Sony's, I actually have the Sony makes their own. I, I could care less. It's just, that's what I got. But my, for instance, my phones, I mean, that is before I even turn it on for the first time, I put a glass screen protector on. A big reason why with my phone and with my camera is a resale value. So you may not break the, the rear LCD, but it, I can pretty much guarantee you, you'll probably scratch it. And this protects it because when you're done, when you're ready to sell it, like I'm probably going to sell this A7S2, all I need to do is take off the back or sometimes I'll offer it, say, I can, you know, to the buyer, like I'll leave it on if you want. Um, but once it's off, that screen is as good as new. Uh, so I like that, Sharky. That's a, a really good pick. It's the same thing with like, we have talked about this before. I don't think I made it my pick, but the lens coat product, that neoprene, you know, if they make it for your particular lens, it'll, you know, help it with the resale value because it'll get nicked instead of, you know, your actual lens and stuff. So sure. you, you want to think down the road, if I want to move up to a different lens or camera, or whatever, I want to protect it as much as possible. So there you go. What's on your gear shelf? So my uh, pick is by a company. I can't, I'm not sure if it's iLED or iLead. It's E-Y-E-L-E-A-D, you know, funny English language. But what this is, this is what you would use for more of a dry sensor cleaning. It's it, it's a long stick. And uh, on the other end of it, there's kind of this like jelly-like sticky, looks like it feels kind of, well, it doesn't feel like anything because you're not supposed to touch it at all. It's this kind of jelly, sticky surface. And you first thing you do is you make sure that it's clear of any sort of debris on it by pressing it onto these included kind of sanitary papers. And then you press it down on the actual surface of your sensor and you lift it up. And it's good for removing light debris, like you know, a fiber or a small piece of dust. It's not as effective as a wet cleaning uh, where you're actually using a solution and you're going kind of left to right right to left on your sensor. I am very gun shy about doing sensor cleanings with these new cameras because they, you know, the ones that I have include um, five axis uh, in body image stabilization. So there's this gyroscope, this balanced gyroscope that is kind of making sure that the whole sensor kind of stays balanced. 
And I, I, I'm sure I'm overreacting and I'd love to hear from our audience, you know, either through Twitter or uh, in the comments, if, you know, do they, and I'm talking specifically about mirrorless cameras now, you know, with, or cameras that have built in image stabilization, you know, are you doing wet cleanings or do you send it off to your local camera shop for, you know, anywhere from 30 to 50 bucks a pop? So anyway, but with this, this is great. You know, I take it with me everywhere. Uh, you know, a lot of times if I'm switching my lenses in the field, almost always something gets in there. And if I catch it early enough with this thing, uh, it's just gone. So, but I don't ever do that cleaning in the field. I wait till I'm in the hotel room or wherever in my car and I do it there. So that's that, Sharky. Awesome. Great pick. Best practices. Don't change your lens outdoors in a dusty environment. I always do it with the body facing downward, you know, the opening, whether or not that works or not, I don't know, theoretically. And uh, I don't clean my sensors. I just try not to get them dirty in the first place. And I shoot at f2.8. Done. Yeah, so why Sharky brings up his aperture is because when you shoot wide open, those, any dust spots you have are barely visible. As you close it down towards f22, you're going to see everything. Like If it's there, you're going to see it. If you're a landscape photographer, you are accustomed to cleaning your sensor. Yep. So there you go. You know what, Brian? I think that was a great pick, and I think this was a great show, if I do say so myself. What do you say? I say so, too. Now, you mentioned contacting us. Don't forget the hashtag on Twitter, AskNNPS. We forgot to mention that the last, I don't know, 10 episodes or so. And where else can people find us and specifically you? Sure. Um, so you can find me on my website, Matias.com, M-A-T-I-A-S-H.com. Uh, you can sign up to my newsletter from there, Inbox Inspiration. Uh, and then on social media, I'm at Brian Matias everywhere, B-R-I-A-N-M-A-T-I-A-S-H. Sharky. You can find me, well, you can find this show, of course, nonamephotoshow.com. I host that Petapexel Photography podcast, as we all know now, the fourth, fifth time. And uh, so petapixel.com slash podcast, or just type in Petapixel in whatever podcast you're listening to this. And now if you are P-E-T-A-P-I-X-E-L and uh, Lens Shark, two S's there, L-E-N-S, Shark, as you said last time. That's right. On uh, on the Twitters, on the Instagram, the Facebook, on the what everything. Not LO. Actually, probably LO too, even though I don't use it. And uh, don't forget, we have that giveaway. If you want a free camera, you know, it's like the lottery, right? Even though this is not a lottery, you can't win if you don't play. In this case, all you have to do is just enter. It costs you nothing. So why not? May the odds be forever in your favor. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, brother. So uh, you want to clap it out? Let's do it. All right, here we go. One, two. We'll fix it in post. Love you, brother. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the No Name Photo Show. Sharky and I would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend. So how about we do this again next episode? Yeah, let's do that.